today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Islam, Buddhism, all of the isms, it's all man doing for God. That's religion. Christianity is what God has done for man. He's become a man to die for man, to pay for the sins of man, so that man could be with God. Wow! You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Wow, indeed! In today's message, Pastor J.D. declares that religion is about what man does for God, while Christianity is about what God did and is doing for man. God has given us a way to return to Him. Some people reject God's path and make their own path. God's path is through Jesus, the only way to God. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 64 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Listen to verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Hang on to that. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now I really got a problem. (laughs) I'm really in trouble. Not only do I have a sin problem, it seems like I have a righteousness problem too, because if I'm righteous in myself, my own righteousness, that's like filthy rags. Now you'll forgive me for pointing out the graphic nature of the meaning of this in the original, but it carries with it the idea of a menstrual cloth. That's what our righteousness, our own righteousness is like to the Lord. Can you imagine, if that's what our righteousness is like to the Lord, what is our sin like to the Lord? Well, let's talk about our righteousness. Why is it likened unto filthy minstrel cloths, because what does a minstrel cloth represent? Death. The death of a conception. A death of a, what would have been a birth. What are the wages of sin? Death. So our own righteousness is like sin, which has a wage, which is death. And that's what our own righteousness is like. Isaiah, who many believe is the one who is praying and crying out, to his credit, he is acknowledging his state before God and the state of all man. In our sin, we need a Savior, and even in our own righteousness. Verse 7, there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. Why? For you have hidden your face from us, 
and have consumed us because of our iniquities. Now get the picture here. It's powerful and it's profound. Because here we are in our sin and our own righteousness, and it says filthy rags, and God can't even look upon it. We are unclean. And He has hidden His face from us. He cannot. Because God is perfect, and God is holy, and God is righteous, and we are unrighteous. So (laughs) what are we going to do here? Well, Here's the good news. The onus is not on us. Let me explain. It can be easily missed at first read, but it has to do with God reaching us because we cannot reach Him. Again, stay with me. That's what religion is. Religion says man has to do for God. That's religion. Christianity says, no, you can't, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So it's impossible. You could never reach God. You will always fall short of the perfect standard of God's righteousness. You can never be righteous. Your own righteousness is as we just described. So, well then, I'm toast. How can anyone be saved? I've sinned. I'm unclean. You've hidden your face from me. I am consumed because of my iniquities. And God says, I've got a solution. I'm going to reach down to you because you cannot reach up to me. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to become a man. And I'm going to come down and become a man, and take your place in your sin, and I'm going to die for you to pay for that sin, so that we can be reunited. Will that work for you? <laughs> I'm like, what? yes? Wait, let me, let me see if I got this straight. So, It's impossible. I cannot reach you. You knew that, so you came down to reach me. Yeah. Wow. What God is this? Who is like unto you, O God? See, it's not what man does for God, religion. By the way, Islam, Buddhism, all of the isms. It's all man doing for God. That's religion. Christianity is what God has done for man. He's become a man to die for man, to pay for the sins of man, so that man could be with God. Wow! I mean, on the mainland it's goosebumps. I'll have you know here in Hawaii it's chicken skin. So we'll leave it at that. Verse 8, but now, (laughs) this really is interesting. Oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. Okay, 
Well, first of all, this reference to the potter and the clay is echoed by the prophet Jeremiah, which by the way, after we're finished with Isaiah is Jeremiah. I can't wait. I know I say that about every book when we start a book, but I cannot wait to start in the book of Jeremiah. But the prophet Jeremiah refers to this, and so too does the Apostle Paul refer to this potter, clay, father, child. Why? Because the clay belongs to the potter. See, that clay is the potter's workmanship. Poema in the New Testament, where we get our English word for poem. We're his work of art. And he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Key word, complete it. Meaning that he's not finished. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard all of those sayings and back when they used to put bumper stickers on cars. Do people still do that? I don't know. I never do that. I especially don't put Christian stuff on there because of the way my wife drives my car. But anyway, (laughs) I'm just kidding. She's not here, so I can get away with that. But um, you've doubtless heard Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Or I'm a work in progress, or God's not finished with me yet. Well, that's, that's what Isaiah is saying here and praying here. You're not finished with us yet, and you're our Father, and we are your workmanship, the work of your hand, and we are the clay in your hand. And it also kind of has this idea of, we're at your mercy. Our lives are in your hands as the potter, and we as the clay. Will you be gentle with us? Be merciful to us? We're the work of your hand. And you're our Father. You're our Father. We belong to you, whether you like it or not. (laughs) That's kind of what he says now. Do not be furious, verse 9, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. This is a Plea for mercy. Be merciful, O Lord. Don't be furious, O Lord. And notice the appeal for mercy is on the basis of, I'm still your child. You're still my father. It's almost like this, and you'll forgive me for illustrating it like this, but for lack of a better illustration, you're stuck with me, God. Is that okay? In a sanctified way, is that okay? That's what he's saying. We're your people, remember? (laughs) You're my father, you're the potter, I'm the clay, remember? I think about the many dialogues between God and Moses concerning the children of Israel. There's this one account where they're kind of going back and forth and And God's like, you know, your people. And Moses is going, they're not my people, they're your people. And they're going back and forth. They don't want to take ownership. And there's even one point in a different account where God's like, that's it. 
I'm done. And he says to Moses, Moses, come here. I'm going to give you the promise that I had given them. (laughs) And man, if I'm Moses, I'm like, yeah, sounds good to me. Let's do this. But now Moses, he's like, no God, you can't do that. I'm like, Moses, dude, did you hear what he just offered you? And Moses says, no, if you do that, see, they're your people. And if you were to do that, God already knew this. It's not like God's going, okay, fine, whatever. No, God knew that would be Moses' response, or else he would not have made that offer to him. God knows the end from the beginning. And he knew he could entrust Moses with such a thing. Because, see, oftentimes, I think about this with Abraham when he took Isaac, to sacrifice him. God already knew what Abraham was going to do. But here's the thing, Abraham did not know what Abraham was going to do. Same thing is true with Moses. See, God already knew what Moses was going to do, but Moses did not know what Moses was going to do. And so God has this way, as only He can, to show us us, because He knows us, and he knows our heart, and he knows the heart of Moses in his humility as this meek man of God, whom he entrusted, which is why he entrusted the children of Israel to him in the first place. He knew that Moses would refuse and appeal. There's another instance, well there's several, I think it's number 16. Just hang in there with me. This is one of my favorite accounts, and you'll forgive me for this being one of my favorite accounts, but it's Moses' cousin Korah who takes issue with Moses and basically challenges him and says to him, you know, you take, you think you're all that. Again, that's a very loose translation. You take upon yourself too much. Who do you think you are? God doesn't just use you, speak through you. You know, what about us? You take too much upon yourself. And Moses is like, I did not ask for this job. I did not apply. In fact, when God called me, I actually refused. I told him no. I can't even talk. I've been on the backside of the desert for 40 years with these sheep. You're not getting out of this, Moses. You're going to have your older brother Aaron then speak for you. That's why the Old Testament is replete with passage after passage where God says to Moses, have Aaron command the people. Aaron was the the spokesman (laughs) for Moses. I mean, you couldn't have picked the worst guy, the, the worst possible candidate. Moses, I mean, all throughout Scripture, God chooses the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to shame the strong. So here's Moses, right? And he's got his cousin now challenging him. And Moses is going, really? Okay, whatever. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow morning, let's you and I meet here, all your recruits. He had about 250 guys that he had recruited in his whisper campaign. He was basically forming a coup against Moses to take over 
the position of Moses. So Moses is like, okay, you know what, let's let God decide the matter. That's always a good way to handle a situation like that. So uh, let's just meet here at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, tomorrow morning, first thing, bright and early, and let's see what God has to say about this. (laughs) So they show up first thing in the morning, bright and early. Here's Korah walking. I could just imagine this guy chest puffed out, full of pride, full of himself. Right. And Moses doesn't even have to do anything. God just says, okay. And he opens up the earth, and he swallows them up. (laughs) Now, if I'm Moses, I'm like, all right, takes care of that. (laughs) Anybody else want to challenge me? Now would be a good time. But that's not what Moses does. You know what Moses does? He actually prays that God would stop what he's doing, because then when the earth swallowed them up, the other Israelites are starting to murmur and complain. This isn't right. This isn't fair. That was Korah. That was Uncle Korah, man. And they're complaining against God. And so God just kills them. And Moses is like, stop. I wouldn't have said that. I would have said, keep going, God. This is good. What's my point? (laughs) My point is this. God is a merciful God. God is a saving God. We are the people of God. And this plea for mercy is on the basis of God. We're your people. We're your people. Be merciful, God. Be merciful. Verse 10, your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation, our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. It's kind of like the prayer circles back to the beginning in this pleading with the Lord and waiting for the Lord to act on behalf of His people, His people, His city, and His temple for His namesake. Because this is His name on His people, which by the way was the ironic blessing as we affectionately refer to it in Numbers chapter 6. We're always so good about quoting it. And by the way, please, 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 I implore you, remove the word may. May is not there. It's not may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord make His face to shine upon you. No, it's the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. And by the way, Aaron was commanded to pronounce that blessing on the Israelites every single time they came to the tabernacle. They heard that. God wanted them to hear that and have that blessing pronounced on them. But it's even more than that, and it's missed in our culture in our day. Because after Aaron pronounces this blessing, God says to Moses, Here's why. Because I put my name on my people. My name. My nature. 
That's what's at stake here. And I want them to know that. My name is on them in the Middle Eastern culture. It is the highest honor. It is the most, how do I say this? I I wish I could just get the word for it, but it is the highest possible way to bless someone when you pronounce the name of God upon them. Growing up as a little boy, my mom in Arabic would always pronounce the name of God on me. And sadly and innocently on her part, she would say, Allah, Ism, the name Ism Allah, Alik, the name of God is upon you. And that's the highest possible blessing you can pronounce on anyone. So I just substituted it, Ism Yasua, Alik, the name of Jesus is upon you the highest blessing you could ever pronounce on anyone. Well, let's finish up the chapter and the Bible study with it, verse 12. And here's this passionate, powerful plea (laughs) in the form of a question. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? Now you you read that and the chapter ends with that and you kind of move on from that, but not so fast. And here's why. This verse with two questions is the expression of a seemingly impossible situation because the prayer has just acknowledged that they're a sinner problem and even if they were righteous their own righteousness would be as filthy rags. How is it even possible? This is impossible for me to be saved. What am I going to do? And here's this question that has no answer unless you have a Savior, Jesus. Problem solved. Questions answered. (laughs) Sin paid for. Unrighteousness dealt with. That's your answer. Are you going to afflict us very severely? No, because I took all of that wrath, all of that affliction, and I put it on my only begotten Son because of my love for you. Um, Will you restrain yourself? No, I will not restrain myself. In fact, unrestrained, I will not withhold my only begotten Son that I will send to you, to die for you, problem solved. You're a sinner, I have the Savior. You have a sin problem, I have the solution. You have a self-righteous problem, I have the solution, the Savior. His name, His name is above all names, the only name given among men that every word in God's Word points to the person of Jesus Christ. 
You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from Isaiah with Pastor J.D., make sure to really think about what you're hearing and what God wants to speak to you today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly to grow in relationship with God and others. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Isaiah together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages on our website. We encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and In Spirit and Truth. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for listening to In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old wind.